Welcome to the Propaganda Report. I'm Monica Perez here with my co-host Brad Binkley. Our special guest today is an accomplished film producer who brought his Hollywood experience to bear on the vitally important issue of human trafficking in the acclaimed movie A Child's Voice. He is continuing to use his talents to bring awareness to the spiritual and human crises facing the world today and urges us to go beyond awareness to try to make a tangible difference. Here to paint for us a picture of just what we are facing and how he thinks we might be called to respond, we welcome John Paul Rice. Hey, Monica, Brad, it's finally a pleasure to see yes. your beautiful yes, faces. Finally. Thank this you. This has been long in the making. We tried to get you last time around, but you were scrambling to get a child's voice out, which you have. So I'm hoping that uh, we can introduce to our listeners who you are, what we can talk about that, where you've been, how you got to where you are. And then I want to I want to talk about what you're working on and where you're headed. Sure. Uh, so my background is, uh, you know, in film in the film industry is over 22 years. I got my start in Remember the Titans here in Georgia. Uh, it was the first role I was in college for business. Uh, prior to that, I was a salesman from 17 to 21 years old. I'd taken a company uh, associated as a vendor with Home Depot and brought them up to about a four and a half million dollar annual uh, account. And then uh, I did a complete reversal when I was taking my second year at Georgia State. I took an elective, the history of motion cinema. That completely changed my life. Um, I went into acting, uh, had been a theatrical actor as a, a child, and this was film acting for the camera. And I succeeded at that at a pretty well, good rate, such the point that I got an opportunity to audition for Titans, got the part, worked on it with Denzel Washington, Ryan Gosling and the rest uh, for about a month and a half, two months here in Georgia. And then a year later, I went out to Los Angeles for the premiere of Titans at the Rose Bowl. And I've just said, my God, I got to be out here. The magic, the the energy of that town, it, it really does infect you because there's just so much going on and it's so huge and so big. And, uh, I found myself out there probably like three months later, uh, with $500 in my wallet and two credit cards and a floor to sleep on and no job. Uh, and I ended up getting in a Mel Gibson movie and working on that for two months. And then I came back to LA after my manager had pretty much taken all of my money that I had earned on it and spent it. So with that said, uh, I started back at square one again, and I was answering phones and reading scripts at Senator International, which was a German Berlin company. And it had six or seven people there. And I was answering phones and reading scripts. But because it was such a new and small company, everybody got to be involved in the creative, the day-to-day -day marketing, sales, distribution, financing, you name it. I was there for four years. And it was like going to school. And during that time, I developed an interest in producing films. My mentor being Joseph Drake, who went on to produce The Hunger Games, Juno, The Grudge, Harold and Kumar. And he's done about 40 other movies. And I learned from him the realities of the film industry, not what most people know, but actually the inner workings of who's really legit, who's not, what producers really are and what they aren't. And... Um, 
I came in contact with a writer director, Edgar Michael Bravo, who uh, I felt was very talented. I ended up co-producing a short film called The Three Stages of Stan. And then we took our scripts out and I got into the Hollywood studio uh, meeting system, I guess you could say, for like three and a half years, meeting with the people who made Harry Potter, um, people at Fox, you know, who did Alien versus Predator, X-Men. I mean, these are all like, I, I guess what I'm saying is I had... This is as I was 22 to 20, 22 to 25 years, 26 years old. And I was exposed to all of these people. I met celebrities. I met A-listers. I was invited to parties. I met Sidney Poitier. Uh, that was probably the most memorable meeting. He said one thing to me when I met him. He just stared at me, shook my hand, and he said, always do what is up here and in here. That's all he said. And um, I don't know, it changed my life. And then I had a, a very big misfortune in a film that I had uh, a major A-list talent attached, domestic distribution from the company that did Passion of the Christ. And, um, and I had 80% of the financing and it all fell apart because of some complications outside of our control with star, star changing management and all that. And so we decided that we had spent three and a half years trying to get that movie off the ground when most films take between four and six years on average to get one movie going. Uh, we decided that we wanted to have control over our movies. And we and my business partner and I ended up making a film for the budget of the total of what our salaries would have been on that other movie. So I was not happy about it, <laughs> but I remembered something that Joe told me. He said, you're, you're never going to look back on these moments uh, and think of them fondly at the time, but it's in the times that you're challenged the most that you're going to find out what you're good at and what you can do. And I found out that I could produce the hell out of a film and, and, and find talented actors that most people would hire casting directors at $100,000 to do. So with that, um, it started me down a road of doing independent micro budget, independent films. They're about, you know, like quarter million dollars or less um, crowdfunded. Some of them uh, found money along the way. Uh, we just had a can do attitude and each one, each one of our movies was different. But the first movie I did was based on a true story. It was called one hour fantasy girl. And it was about a young girl who was struggling as a girl in Hollywood working out of a motel room where for $150 an hour, she did any fantasy a man wanted as long as there was no sex, no nudity and was completely legal. And you go, well, what the hell then would you be hired to do if, if that's the case with men? And it was very intriguing. And um, we had a lot of women at first uh, who were very apprehensive because we're two men making a movie about a woman in peril and in prostitution. And, um, but it actually struck a chord with women on such a level that it became a major hit for us uh, in the same year that the girlfriend experience with Steven Soderbergh came out. And actually some of the reviewers that had reviewed that movie and ours said that our was, ours was the movie, even though it was a lower budget, much significantly lower budget and had no stars in it by name, that it was the one that actually had the heart to it that was missing in the other one. And it was a story of strength, finding your own inner strength and surviving another day. And sometimes it's the, 
It's that one moment, that little breadcrumb that somebody gives you, that little break that can turn the trajectory and allow you to make it another day. And what I, I found was that in my journey, making these now seven films in 11 years, um, it was a reflection unconsciously. It was a reflection of my own self coming through. Art is kind of the journey of going into the unknown and seeking to find meaning out of it where you don't have, you may have preconceived notions, but they get shattered because here was this girl in front of me and one hour fantasy girl. And I was looking at her and I, it was a tragedy to me to watch such in real life, a beautiful, sweet woman having to do such horrors and then also knowing a little bit about her family background. And that was the first awakening that I had about my own trauma um, in childhood on a larger scale and seeing a manifestation of it in LA playing out with somebody that, you know, is not, it's not the super sexy, um, you know, the way Hollywood presents strippers and prostitutes, they're bold and they're powerful and they're, you know, it's not like that at all. This is the Craigslist world. This is the underbelly of LA. This is the danger and the violence. And I then made a movie about, uh, homelessness and a supernatural slant to it. Uh, then I did probably the most important film that I've ever made called mother's red dress, which is now called memories of a lost love. And it's a slow burner, but it deals with child abuse in the home. And it's, it's probably the most powerful film that I've ever premiered. When that was finished, there wasn't a dry eye in the audience. And I think there was a stunned silence. It sounded like church at the end. Uh, the only reason why I knew people liked it was because everybody came out in the lobby afterwards and said, that was amazing. Um, but I traveled through this, this world, making films. 2015 was another wake up call. I made a movie called a young man's future. And it was a story of two gay college boys in their final year, one an engineer and another a linguist who fall in love. And one of them develops schizophrenia. And it, it's not a gay film. Uh, it's a film about love. It's a film about love that transcends romance. It's about what you would do with someone or what would you do if you were thrown into a situation where the person you once knew and loved is no more, has lost their mind. And uh, it's a beautiful film to me. I mean, it's, it's one of our best-selling movies, as, as is One Hour Fantasy Girl. But at 2015, I was going to organizations to partner with them like I had on some of our other films. And I went to the gay organizations there and they told me, well, your film has a lot of merits and it's very important subject matter. And it's a very well done movie, but it doesn't have black, brown, trans, queer characters uh, in in the main arena. And I'm like, what the fuck? Because I was sitting here going, I'm a liberal lefty. <laughs> I'm not somebody who's like discriminating anybody. And it was what was serving the story that we cast those actors. We're not trying to get 
skin color. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't about that. It, it had nothing to do with that. And, and so they placed, that was the first time I go, that is so weird. And then I found like none of the gay film festivals would take it in either. And I just kind of wrote it off as like, maybe they didn't like it. Maybe it wasn't as good as we, you know, the reviews had said, I, I'm not saying every movie we make is going to be received by everybody, but like, come on. Um, there, there wasn't, there was good acting in it. There was a good story there. And then came the election of Donald Trump in 2017, 2016. I had followed Bernie Sanders, not because I was a socialist or communist, but because I knew the horror of Hillary Clinton, not on the scale that I understand today, but just from her record and who she was as a person made me detest her. And Donald Trump was somebody that the media had told me was a racist and a xenophobe and this, that, and the other. And it really doesn't matter now, but but I believed it and I had my heart broken with Sanders and I knew that they had rigged it on a scale that was bigger than just the superdelegates and all that. It was worse. It's like what you just saw in this last one. So Trump gets elected and all of a sudden I freak out and I had an Arab um, girlfriend at the time who said, don't worry about it. He's fine. He's just a businessman. I was like, what? He's a xenophobe. He's going to, you know, like all that. So that, that again, I went on a journey in 2017 from January to that year. And I came across human trafficking of children on a level that I don't think I was prepared for. Um, I dove into all of the conspiracy going back to the Federal Reserve, JFK to 9-11. Um, all of it, just everything that I could absorb, Franklin scandal, FBI court cases, Ted Gunderson, um, testimonials from Anake Lucas, then comes Ronald Bernard, the five-part series that I saw. And my business partner was over in Australia trying to get a movie off the ground because we were thinking about moving over there <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah, but I caught this and I sent him the interview and it sparked in him an immediate thing a week later to say, I have our next movie. It's called The Child's Voice. And what I learned about human trafficking, I put everything into that film on a level that was enough for people to understand the depth and the layers to the ring, but enough also to understand the satanic element behind it which is the conspiracy, which now most people, it's divided politically, of course, but the satanic ritual abuse, the drinking of the blood, the sacrifice, I put that in the film in a very tasteful way. And I made that movie about the road to redemption through love. And that was about two outsiders, a young man who's a heroin addict, who's homeless, and a girl who's getting beaten by her abusive boyfriend who started trafficking kids and selling them. And this child who's killed at the beginning, spirit lives on, and he comes to that boy and sends him on a, a journey of the unknown to rescue this girl. And they come together and begin to come close together such to the point that they're willing to risk their lives for this child because they have to do something now that they know the truth. And uh, it's a beautiful film because it's the beginning of that conversation. And I really wanted it to be the beginning 
And when I went to premiere it in 2018, I did so right there in LA. Um, we had 400, three to 400 people there. It was very successful. It moved a lot of people. It shocked a lot of people, not in a grotesque way, but in a way that they just couldn't imagine. But in making that movie and seeing everything unfold over the last couple of years, it led me to do that viral video that I had 700 followers on my Instagram account. I had five to eight people on the live. And to this day, over 80 to 100 million people have seen it worldwide. Um, it just caught fire at the right time. And I don't believe it was me that made that happen in the bigger sense of everything. I think it just, it was, it was something that I wasn't thinking about my safety. I wasn't thinking about my life at that moment. I was only going to talk about the censorship of our movie because Amazon had pulled the movie between Maxwell and Wayfair and the rise of human trafficking going up. And they just unpublished it in America and the UK and I think up to 70 countries. So here I was a filmmaker and I had traversed into human trafficking of children. And I really, what I ended up finding was I found my own abuse there. I found my own childhood trauma there. Not that I was trafficked, but that I was uh, sexually abused as a child by my mother and father who were both from educated families wealthy families, not aristocratic, you know, Illuminati, any of that, but, um, but that I, I had begun that journey years ago through my work and it came full circle with this time. And it allowed me to heal a lot of very deep, dark and painful wounds. And, um, it helped me see the world in a new way. And it also showed me the beauty and what is possible uh, beyond the darkness, beyond my own lived experience and all the crap that I had done in the 19 years that I lived out in Los Angeles as a very unconscious man who was a nice guy, but really fucked up. And so, uh, here we are. <laughs> That's quite a journey. And I, so your movie, I noticed that it was banned on Amazon because I tried to watch it on Amazon the other night. And in fact, they even had a hard time getting it to load up on Vimeo a couple of times for some reason. It would come up and just wouldn't be there. And after watching it, there's no reason it shouldn't be on Amazon. That's It's right. very well done. And you talked about the seedy underbelly, the Craigslist version of Hollywood that people don't really get exposed to a lot. You did a good job of, of portraying that in the film. And it was filmed mm -hmm. in L.A., right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah as, as I thought it was, it, but you did a great job of kind of showing that, you know, violent CD underbelly. And I, I'm wondering what, because that's a challenging topic to, to cover and you did it well. You didn't, you, you, you did it in a way that implied that shows the horrible things, but it also implies even worse things that went on. And yeah. what kind of, besides Amazon and everything, what kind of pushback did you get in putting this film out there, did, did people come after you? I mean, just attack you in the media or in the news or personally? No. Well, I think that what happened is once the film went out and it started receiving very positive reviews on the user end. See, I, I had made the mistake of going to the film industry to try to get reviews like I had my previous film. 
and they attacked it. Uh, there's one out there by film threat that just trashed the film and said it was garbage and, uh, you know, whatever that's, that's that reviewers, you know, that's their right. But, um, we were up at like, so on the rating of IMDB, you know, where the internet movie database, we had uh, a rating, I think it was 8.9 out of 10, which is a really good rating. And we had 20 or so people. And these weren't just, these were not friends. I didn't ask anybody. These were people who actually saw the film, wrote reviews. Um, and then within a period of like, I want to say 24 hours, there was an attack that just like, I would say 20 people collectively all at once went there and rated it a one and it, it drove it down to like 3.2 out of 10. And uh, now I think it's somewhere back up to five, but th the way IMDB works, I mean, this is kind of crazy, but they weight certain reviewers ratings more than others. And, and they, they have their own system for it. And I just had to let it go. I just said, you know what? I can't worry about this. A couple of people said, you knew this was going to happen. I said, yeah. So, um, no, they just mainly Hollywood mostly ignored it. Um, I didn't really get attacked. I think that, uh, during this political storm of the last couple of years, I've had people that used to be, um, friends and filmmakers, uh, you know, that we had mutual respect. They called me a QAnon production house. Um, they, you know, they tried to say things like, you don't give a shit about this issue. Um, you're just using it to be a grifter. I mean, it's just stuff like that. that didn't really hurt, but it was just like, it just told me how, how ignorant and how petty people could be on that level. Um, to make it a political issue. Like they'd always say, well, what about Trump? What about Trump? It's like, do you even give a shit about this issue? Or are you using it as political football? Because that tells me you don't care about this issue because I'm saying, okay, throw them in the mix. What are you doing about it? Well, what do you think about it? It's like, it doesn't matter what I think. It's like, this is happening. This has happened. This is real. I didn't, nobody came to me and said, hey, you need to make a movie on this. I was led down a path. This is all before QAnon. This is all before any of that stuff. This was just me looking at the facts and the evidence. And so when, when I had people like, for example, I went to all of the human trafficking organizations there in Los Angeles, and I invited them to come two months ahead of time. Not one of them responded. The only one that did was a larger organization that said, we're not going to be available during that time. And then left it at that. Like, basically, thank you very much. Don't get us involved. Um, I have my own understandings about what that meant, but it was basically ignoring. And until I did an interview on SGT report in 2019, which went super viral within 24 hours, had 800,000 views and 5,000 comments and YouTube like shadow bandit. And then um, when this George Floyd stuff went off last year, there were, I'm just saying this because you know, if you were in LA, there were no cops doing anything of anything on the streets. Uh, they were just letting everybody, these rioters, these looters go everywhere. I was in a very wealthy area of town and five men showed up at my apartment looking for somebody. Uh, and my neighbor called the cops and the police came within seconds and got all of them and took them out of there. That's, I mean, that's fantastic. I'm glad they showed up. 
we've heard stories where the cops haven't been showing up in many circumstances over the past year and a half. People forget that because Trump is not in the news and they can't associate it with Trump. People forget that this sex trafficking stuff is still ongoing. Not just because Jeffrey Epstein is dead or missing or on an island, whatever, doesn't mean it's over with. When I was researching Epstein, I would show it to my friends and I would show them some of the people on the plane and the connections and, and the testimony and the depositions and Ghislaine Maxwell avoiding depositions and then going to Hillary Clinton's wedding and stuff like that. Even even stuff with Trump. And they just did not care at all until it was turned into, well, Trump did it type scandal in the media, which they totally misrepresented the whole thing when they exposed right. the Jeffrey Epstein thing. But because platforms like Amazon and because platforms like YouTube and the media do not cover it or they suppress it. It's it really is shocking to me that your movie was taken off of Amazon because some of the most horrible things y- you can ever even imagine stay on Amazon. Did they give you an explanation as to why it was removed? So when I went in there, um, we found out because somebody was trying to go rent it uh, related to the director, and I went there and I looked at. We have a like a you know, uh, behind the scenes page where we publish things. And it was a standard, your movie has been unpublished due to, uh, I don't remember exactly, but it was a very like legal, legalese standard, non-committal to anything. It's like, well, we, from time to time, I think it was something like this, from time to time, we decide which titles, uh, you know, work for our platform. Sometimes it's due to customer feedback, Um, but we're doing this in the best interest of the movie experience for our customers and basically said, don't resubmit it. You won't get it back on. So I had dealt with this once before I had a problem with Amazon, not specifically related unpublishing, but I went to them and they reiterated again, they said something about the performance of the film. And I said, well, by that metric alone, I have six movies on there. Child's Voice was in the top two to three. So it was in the 50 percentile and above. So they didn't take the other ones off. So I'm like, this is contradictory. But I, I just let it go because I knew that the, 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 the way into which they work, regardless of why they do things, once their decision is final, it's final. And you can't do anything about it. So they just gave me the standard response. And then they followed up reiterating the standard response in a different way. And that was the end of it. Um, And like I said, it, it led up to the viral video days later and our sales exploded all over the world. I mean... I cannot tell you, uh, people were looking for it everywhere. And I think there was like thousands of bootleg copies being published everywhere. I, by the end of the day, I, my estimation was that, um, at least not just the viral video, but at least that movie was seen by 20 to 30 million people within a month. Wow. And, uh, you know, not everybody paid for it, but I didn't care at that point because, I was like, I just want to get this movie out there. I want people to see it. And I want people to know that it's real, that this is happening and has happened. And it's not a conspiracy. And it's not something that we should take lightly or think that it's 
in this little hidden corner of the world over there or on an island. It's, it's actually happening football. in every one of our it's happening in every city in this country and yeah. all over the world. Atlanta's bad. Atlanta has a bad problem with that. Yeah. Did you yeah, get but- a sense like when you see Denny Hester and the guys who were big, powerful guys who are involved in this stuff, when you hear big names, uh, batted around in that context. First of all, it makes me think that by associating the whole thing with Trump, you can kind of neutralize it. I feel like they mm-hmm. were doing that to take mm-hmm. the whole issue and to never have to deal with it again because you're you sound like a an acute conspiracy person if you even mention human trafficking or any of that. Truly, right. So, so how? I mean, did you get any insight at all into how it is that people? kind of are protected that that nobody will will address the issue who really has like an established platform you would think that this would be a topic that like somebody somewhere would not want to just turn a blind eye to well uh yes and there were a couple of people that i spoke to i mean first of all like so in my time out in la you know i'm i ran into a lot of different people who told me different things. And of course I was like, I don't know, you know, if that's true or not. Again, I'm a young man. I don't think the world this way. Um, But there were things that I did see in looking back that took on a new meaning when I got into this time. And then after that video, I had dozens of people reach out from Hollywood privately and otherwise telling me, thank you so much for saying what we all know is true. This is a protected activity out here. Pedophilia is a protected activity out here. Um, and, and here's what I'll say that, you know, I can't worry about my safety anymore in the sense that I'm not trying to go out there, you know, blazing like a martyr. I don't, I'm that's not what I'm talking about, but so many people have been killed and died uh, and been made examples out of, but they were also uh, true. And when I say this, I'm not discrediting myself. They were true insiders who were caught up in the higher echelons of those networks. Right. So, so that's why you don't hear about it. Um, people in DC told me this, he said, if you're ever invited to Washington, DC, you only go to the cocktail party at the white house and nowhere else. That sounds like the Franklin cover-up stuff. Yeah. They'd have like the freshmen go to a, like the freshman congressman and stuff go to, and this was the Republican side. It's not, yeah. it wasn't partisan. And they would, you know, slip a roofie or whatever, take a very, get them in a compromising position, take a picture. And then they were absolutely owned from then on end. That's what it yep. was in that book, the Franklin cover-up, which seemed pretty well documented. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, there's, there's lots of avenues to get to that place. Um, in Los Angeles, you have sex clubs that are <laughs> New York has those too. They're kind of like fronts for that because they're run by organized crime. And um, they're see the thing is is that it's a hidden layer. So you're not you're not you're not like going to the sex club and all of a sudden it's gonna be like here it is, you know, but it's it's there, but they're going to qualify you. And the key is is that in LA. As long as they know that you're not a Christian, um, you're okay. As long as you're not going to be judgmental, as long as they know that even if you have a belief in God, but are not pushing that or professing it and there's money to be made, then 
then there's, there's room to work with. Um, as far as like blackmail and how that works, there's a lot of people that allow themselves to be blackmailed too. And that's kind of the scary part. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover, that's not a secret. He allowed himself to be blackmailed to have access to his perversions. Uh, you know, he was a cross-dresser and all. And I'm not putting people down like this way, but I'm just saying when you're in that high level of position or responsibility where you're, <laughs> the intention is the Federal Bureau of Investigations and you're allowing yourself to be compromised by darker forces that own you, um, you are serving agendas. And, and, and in some ways, it's kind of like if you look at Jeffrey Epstein, he was a malignant narcissist. He's the easiest person to control. So, so a lot of times what they're looking for are people that have the face and look the part, but are morally, uh, let's just say, challenged, not from a, a, a virtue level, but that the power uh, that they seek, they're will, there's a price that they're willing to sell out at. And I would just say to people who don't think that's possible, I'm like, are you going to sit here and tell me today that, there, that you can be certain that all of those people on television do not have a price where they will sell out. Right, so maybe or, that qualifier is that, I mean, a lot of people, I, I actually, I remember the probably the worst person I ever really got close to. It's just one of those people who lied all the time, like lied all the time until you know someone like that. It's like hard to it, it, understand yeah, right. how it is. Like there's just been, and in my whole life, I really think I only know maybe one or two people who really like that. It's a shock and to the I, worldview when you meet somebody like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and the, and this person, I recall distinctly saying, "I'm a good person." And I remember oh, yeah. thinking, wow, like you're the worst person I've ever met in my life. So so when you say the qualifier is like Christian or whatever or not pushing it, it feels to me that if if your if your number one priority is God or the salvation of your soul or the afterlife, for me, like if that's your number one priority, then you can't be bought. If it's just like a part of your self-image, it's negotiable. And, and maybe that's where it comes in. And that's why I do think and I also think that it is a deal breaker that if you if you are non-negotiable on certain moral issues, you don't get anywhere or they rub you out or whatever. I recall seeing a woman. It was a, a very compelling, totally believable. Like I have pretty strenuous truth star and she passed it. It was a Dutch woman crying about uh having been a, as a child involved in human hunting parties arranged by her parents. I never believed any of that stuff until I saw her. And she was saying that the heads of state, um, the clergy would be part of it. And they would have like, if you, if you showed up there as one of these people in power and you could not participate in the unsavory activities there, you were eliminated, like you were done, like they would kill you or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of screens, but that was the first time. And really, like, I don't know how you do this stuff because it's so disturbing to me that I could absolutely never, ever do it. I could never get immersed in this stuff at all. But right. uh, if since you have, I'm going to ask you the question because I could never really pull on the threads that dangled from when I watched that video about um, 
the ritual element of it and like two things like is that ritual element real like you see eyes wide shut and something like rings very true about that right. uh, type of thing is there a ritual element true and is is the ritual for control of the human beings or is it um to tap into some dark magic or both in your opinion both um the people that do this the reason why you and i and others cannot conceive of such horror is because these are psychopaths and and they're not they're not logical in their it, it makes absolutely no sense to human beings like i i kind of said this to the truth community to shut up one time um they demanded that everybody know what's what the whole thing. And I said, you have mothers and fathers in this country, just mothers alone of children who if upon learning the reality of this horror on the level that it is done would fall down and vomit. And you would have mass psychosis problems because you would awaken traumas in people that they could never recover from. We're not equipped to, to handle that uh, as a society on the whole right now. I think I remember a story that Norman Dodd told in an interview with G. Edward Griffin, where he was talking about how they went into he had a researcher. I think her name was Catherine Casey. I can't I'm not 100 percent sure, but that he had a researcher that went into the the archives of the Carnegie Endowment and found that like in its early days or after its establishment in the early 1900s, they were trying to reshape the country. So yeah. they knew that the, or they studied how to do that. And the best way was war. And in because like what Binkley was saying, it will reshape your worldview. She actually did like have a break. Like she couldn't function anymore after that. It was, made her lose her mind. And I think what is hard for people to understand is yeah. like for me it was shocking to meet someone who's like truly a pathological liar and um when you say sociopath a sociopath that is a personality disorder like that is yes. a documented personality disorder and the the unique i think something that's unusual there aren't too many really like documented personality disorders and that's one of them and i think what people don't understand is that you they're not irrational like they they're almost too right. irrational like you right. can't you you can't really recognize if they don't want you to know it you don't know it and i actually think like that's the difference between organized crime petty crime and politicians is just how good they are at it yeah yeah they they find their their avenue um the thing that you mentioned and i, I don't want to get too heavy into this because it's it is one that you just want to just like unplug from after a while and i yeah, dude to. it bums me i don't know how you can um, put so much but this it. is but this is important at least for people to understand how evil persists um if you go back in the bible it's all there the blood ritual sacrifice right that's canaanites child sacrifice i always wondered like how the isaac and abraham story i'm like why did he think his god would let him kill his son you know and it's right. like well there, there was human sacrifice in the day there was Apparently, human sacrifice like every and every religion had it and every time that human sacrifice has been um added to the mix of anything there is always a darkness that emerges that can never be um let's say resolved through more sacrifice this is blood ritual like and, and what i mean by that on the practical scale today um, we're doing it right now with COVID-19. This is a trauma ritual. 
Afghanistan is a trauma ritual. These are blood sacrifice rituals of dark magic forces that are beyond this world. And I know that kind of sounds really crazy, but it is when you get into spirituality uh, on a higher level, not only just internally, but externally and reading the text. And it's not just the Bible. It's all throughout history. You see these patterns emerging. And the, the way that I try to under, help people understand, it's like start with Ephesians 6, 12 about the powers and the principalities, the, the dark forces that are beyond your street level Satanists, um, your, you know, your, your general or any, anybody who's part of the war machine, you, you have to go higher and higher and higher. And the only two people that could give you that testimony that you, if you want to hear it is Anike Lucas. She did a Ted talk and she had a 2016 video is the, um, she was sex trafficked as early as six years old, but she talks about the block of blood uh, of, of wood with the blood stains of the other children. Um, Ronald Bernard was all the way up there. This is beyond the Vatican, beyond the banks. This is bigger than, than what most people and people freak out. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, no, what these people do is they channel that energy. They call those deities into them to possess them because they feed off of the trauma that they're creating the louche as they call it. But the blood sacrifice and the child thing is a, it's sort of like they know what we are. We're children of God. This is where I came full circle on this thing. Once I dove into the dark side, I went to the opposite. I had to explore the opposite and come to understandings that the darkness wages its war against God's children for a very specific reason. It is to mock, pervert, and destroy what we are. And they do so through the unconscious power powers, if you will, people who don't realize what they truly are, seek power in the world and their hierarchies as you get higher and higher up become more and more ruthless and corrupt. So now, now that I've painted that wonderful picture, <laughs> the question is, what can we do? Well, I want to, before is, you say that, can I just yeah, say like yeah. um, two things? One is uh, the 9-11 event to me, yes. like nothing explains that. Like, that's when I started thinking like a cult mm -hmm. ritual has to be at work here. Like nothing explains that yeah. black mass, like unless yeah. the official story is true, which like it's just in internally inconsistent it can't be true and then also like i i would not I, I, that this kind of thing has always been kind of like you know i used to think about chemtrails and harp like there's no way i'm ever going to figure this out like i just right. don't need to think about that but covid this whole thing this whole worldwide lockstep of what mm -hmm. appears to be a bioweapon i mean and i'm not saying like wuhan lab leak i don't know but i i had it and it was not natural feeling feels like a bioweapon unleashed on the entire world with the complicity of basically everyone in an official leadership position and I, I mean, really, because if anyone really resisted, it wouldn't be perfect like it is like being per like it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously evil because I don't even think 
the death has even begun yet. That's I right. think the death is coming on that. And in eventual one, like the only thing that really wasn't right about it was the 65 million deaths. And I feel like that's what it was in World War II. And I think this is World War III. And, and I think that's where it's kind of, no, it's, it's terrifying to listen to, but that's why I was going to ask you, you're about to tell us like, what can you do about it? And that goes hand in hand with the idea of like, what is the true nature of power in the world? And I feel like, I just said this the other day, I feel like earth has fallen. Like mm-hmm. in the great battle, Earth has fallen and like mm-hmm. we're, we are truly the remnant. And, you know, is this the like I don't really know my scripture very well, but like I've read a lot of C.S. Lewis and stuff. And I've just thought, you know, mm-hmm. if 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 we are not. If the goal is not even to win on Earth. You know, that's why my mother's like so disappointed in the Pope's like, why does he care about youth unemployment and the environment? He should only care about our souls. You know, she just she's doesn't right. understand. She's yeah, right. she's right. And it's like, you're right. It's like, this is not the realm for mm-hmm. for good to triumph. But I also say that she says, oh, God's up in his heaven. I don't know why you worry so much. I'm like, well, but we're here for a reason. So right. if that's what's going on. Right. And I always say, like, it doesn't even matter if the fifth dimensional stuff is true, if it is a battle between God and Lucifer, whatever's happening here, the answer is probably the same, whether it's a cosmic battle or just a totally material one. And so we have to address it, even if there, were, right. there is no black magic and it's just for ritual control, we have to address it. So. Right. You know, this is controversial. People are going to be like, what? But let's, well, you know, let me, should, let's try to, yeah. I'll try to explain it in a very condensed, but practical manner, because you can get into the ethereal and esoteric really quick and lose people. Right. So what are you, right? That's the question. What are you really? Are you Monica Perez who lives in Los Angeles at this address and has these accomplishments and went to this school and this job and has these prerogatives and has these, or are you something that you have not been allowed to know before? And my question to people is this, the Vatican church for which you cited has paid out $2 billion in settlements for molestation, abuse, torture, and rape of children. And those are the people who are controlling the world's religions to say you're born with original sin, you're an unworthy child of God, and you're going to die, and Jesus will come back one day and your soul will go up with him if you did all the right things. So what does that give you? What option does that give you? Fear. Less than. Now, the new age is going to come in. And this is where people are like, hey, he's starting to talk like new age. <laughs> Hold on a second. No, new age is a Luciferian program, which is about knowledge of the world in relation to the opposition. So in other words, you're going to see in your lifetime, you and I and everyone else will see in our lifetime, the new age revolution come up and it'll be a cult. It'll be a death cult, ultimately because it sees itself in separateness from another. The Marxists have planned this out quite well for the long game of what they're going to do with that. And they're taking spirituality and separating it from Christianity, which is dogmatic and is limited in ideology, in repetition and ritual. And they're giving all of the spiritual powers over to the new age. But spiritual spirituality exists in the new age with what third dimensional hypersexualized materialist culture. 
What we have to understand is that we are the true sons and daughters of the creator. That is not egoic. That is Christ the shepherd, the shepherd who watches over the flock, the sheep, the sheeple, the ignorant. Who did Christ spend his time with? The leper, the adulterer, the beggar, the thief, the lowest of the low, the wretched, those who were the dregs of society. And what does religion do? Come to our church on Sunday for an hour so you can be saved. What did Christ do? He went to them and didn't charge them a damn thing. So these are decisions we're going to have to start making as to which master we serve in our lifetime. Now, going out and hating all the things that you can't control and all the wickedness of the world will lead you back to a mirror of yourself. So any enemy that you go out there and seek is the enemy in you. The person that you hate that you don't know is the person you hate in yourself. We are mirrors to each other. Children are the most precious, magnificent, and beautiful of all gifts that could be given to us by God. And that means that they have a soul like you have a soul, like I have a soul in the next person. It either is or is not, but I'm going to tell you this, the dark side of this equation knows all of this and believes it. And believe me, they're going hard at it to kill as many people as possible and take as many souls with them. So understand who your enemy is, but it only can persist if you do nothing. And it only persists if you do not get up out of your chair Stop fighting with each other and start living and giving and sharing and caring for the reason that if only for your own self-interest, you will heal. If you hurt, you will hurt others. If you heal, you will heal others. When I looked at everything as to how these forces work on us, they scare the hell out of it. Just think about it like this. COVID-19 did what? It said billions of people you are under threat of dying. They gave everyone last year the gift of the fear of death. And they shut everything down and they stopped all of our illusions. Yes. Why did we have what happened last year? More children and women committed suicide on a mass scale than ever before. More deaths than COVID-19, more drug overdoses more domestic violence, more addictions, more alcoholism, nihilistic behavior. You have more children today going into Satanism than ever before. The reason for which is not because Satanism is necessarily appealing. It is, though, in a world from 9-11 to now for which we take a shit on all these kids, these Gen Zers and these millennials. Let me tell you something. Let me just be very, very clear. When you have pornography on the level that we do today with 96% of Americans with one of these, and you have parents today raising their children, watching this crap and looking at, at Google for answers to how to parent their children, you have a new generation of children coming online that are completely wrapped in the digital avatar that is going to be handed to them with AI transhumanist yeah. agenda. It's frightening. And we have yeah. not seen the full manifestation of this. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm saying what I'm saying, because if we don't get a hold of this ourselves, if we don't face ourselves, all that came before 
brought us to this moment. And if we have no self-reflection, because let me just tell you, this is why narcissism is so powerful right now, because it, there is no self-reflection with a narcissist. They are drawing that narcissistic energy out of people and imprinting it as their identity in opposition to the Trump supporter or yes. on, the, on the other side to the Biden supporter. Yeah. This is a permanent fracture in consciousness. It's a split that these engineers have been waging on us for over 40 years. And it is a bill that is going to come due if we don't do anything about it. And it's really coming to a head right now because uh, people have been kids, teens, whatever, have been totally immersed in those screens at the same time. And I wondered why they were doing this for the first time. They they legalized pot everywhere and corporatized it and weaponized it yep. by refining it and turning it from like a gift from God into like something powerful that mm -hmm. the older generation just doesn't recognize how powerful it is. And I feel like there's there's a clockwork orange type like connection between having everybody locked in their houses where they can get a hold of that stuff and just immersed completely in a virtual world that they are not necessarily recognizing as virtual because they've they they just take casually drugs yes. and so, or even just pharma phar, pharma like that the kids are all on Ativan and stuff or whatever it is Lexapro it, yeah. yeah and I mean the way in the 60s I feel like the only way to really destroy the society that had many ills but it also had a very strong um, moral foundation with cultural unity the only way to do that was to get to make the the system itself feel immoral with an immoral war Vietnam War and then get people People super drugged up so that they they just had no sense of responsibility. And I feel That's like right. we, we've got the exact same money. process. This is the yeah. same program going off uh, that was there in the 60s. They're doing it with new drugs. Um, we have a lot of problems. And the thing is, is that it's going to take creative solutions, not arguments. All right. So let's Not, bring it there. Let's let's yeah. go all hope from here yeah. on in. So like, no, no, because I, I, I know do? we could we could traverse. No, and this is people the are in I, this space, though, because this is the reality. Like if you don't say yeah. and I am, you know, my when I started doing radio 10 years ago, my mother is a complete like insomniac, just listens all night. She's like, if you can't keep it upbeat, you might as well not do it. And I said, well, mom, talking about current events, I don't care. Then don't do it. Enough people are telling us how to be down. You got to have at least a smile on your face. So it's so I was I took that to heart. And if you listen to my show, you will hear it. And that's why Binkley and I just like every day we always try to find humor yeah. in this stuff but right now at this moment you know i really become bereft over yes they they tore away our illusions and it was it was stupid of me i was a very awake person to like still believe the illusion of like the cookie cutter house and the grocery store and all of that which right. is just by somebody's you know by the um the will of the king or whatever like do i get those things and i and it's that's a very radical but mm -hmm. just the 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 when you see what's happening, I just read an article about Israel. Israel's highly vaccinated and they're discovering that that the, the vaccines they got, whatever, um, can make old people more vulnerable to future illness. You right. know? So now I'm really worried. And now I'm really thinking like they are they are not playing and. And, oh. and who the hell, you know, these are the they and like you have to every once in a while, just like get a little panic in you because this is a really dire situation. So let's, is, what do we yeah, do? Yeah. yeah how do we fear overcome the used, fear? 
Yeah, fear is a useful tool uh, to wake you up, but it's not a state that you want to live in and can't because you can't do it. You cannot come up with you can't you can't think. And if you wear that mask, they know that it's it's diffusing your ability to think on a rational and creative level. Okay, so what do you do? The truth of the matter is that you cannot control you have to let go of all the things that you cannot control and bring to bear everything that you can in this moment right now on the present which is to to try and aim for the highest good in what you can affect right around you the people you love the people you profess that you love even those who have broken away reach out to them plant the seed you don't know what you are doing If you're only concerned about the optimal outcome as to what you think it might be, you're going to fail and you're going to give up. This is not about absolutes. This is not about kumbaya bringing everyone back together on the whole right now. There's going to be other things that are going to occur and you have to be able to stand strong in that current as it's coming to you, not to fight up against it. Stop fighting it. When you fight this system, you give it energy and validity. If you pull away from it in steps, it's first your mind, then you can go into your heart, and then you can deal with your emotions. Because the truth of the matter is what you're seeing manifest right now is that emotions are dictating the thoughts, no matter how rational or irrational, because the two meet in the middle with the feeling in the heart. Where you have to go is you must go within and you must find that place for which it is a muscle that you were born with. I say it like that because it's like going to the gym. You don't go to the bench press in the first day and do 250 pounds. You have to work your way up five pounds, 10 pounds a day. Get outside in the sunshine, 20 to 30 minutes a day. You will bring back natural immunity to your body at a higher level than most medicines can give you. You need to boost your immune system with vitamin D, vitamin C, um, look into uh, zinc, turmeric. There's a whole list of stuff out there. Just start somewhere. You have to boost. You have to take care of this body like it is a temple because it is. It goes beyond the dimensions of our seeing that we are connected to. And here's the thing. Whatever your understandings, however ignorant or intelligent or everywhere in between limitations, embrace them. Because I I can say this for me, and I know people have different beliefs, so I'm not trying to profess Jesus is the way for everyone. But in this time for me, Christ was the only thing that gave me the strength to endure my darkest and deepest fears. And that included prayer and meditation. It didn't require me to go to a church. It put me in the lives in in front of and around the lives of people who were needing help and were benefiting from that. I'm not talking about running out and going and starting a charity. I'm talking start with your community, the community in here. This is community in here. That's where this space that you create that is outside of this world is the thing that they want to cut off. That's why they're doing AI, because they want to cut us off from God. They want to cut us off from our creator permanently to enslave this planet. That is their long-term agenda. So knowing that 
you now have a free will choice to choose what you wish to do with your life. And it really starts with children. Children are the future right now, not when they get older, not three to five years from now, not in the next election cycle. You have a $150 billion a year industry called human trafficking, and you are not going to be voting for a future for your children. The time for elections is over. Even if they hold them, it doesn't matter. Nothing is going to change what has been done. These trajectories are on their way. They're putting everybody in buckets. You have to decide which master you serve in this time. Now, it's a process. And there's probably people who are looking at me going, John, I have children. I have a family. I have jobs. I've got all these commitments. I can't do anything. I can't change. Then I go, well, then you're not going to. It's not going to happen for you. Now, does that mean that tomorrow you unplug and go get an RV, sell all your property, go get an RV and, and go out into the reservation in a breakaway society? No. But what you do is you must go outside of the world and come back at it to embrace it at a level that you haven't before. This is not about separation and detachment. Look at what they're doing to you. They want you divided. They want you separated. They want you to think thoughts about the person you don't even know with psychic content that before a word has even been spoken, take off the damn mask, say hello and smile to the person. Be a node on a network that connects. Play the opposite game that they're giving you. Yeah. That's the key. Everything that they show you is the opposite and inverse of the truth. That's always been their game. And they put nice dresses on it and layers to it to, to appeal to you. But once you know what is true, and this is the thing, children are the most precious thing that we have. And let me just tell you, I spent years out in LA and everybody wanted to go back to childhood, even no matter how successful they were. We all want to go back to that place. Well, we can't go back in time necessarily physically, but we must bring that play and that creativity back into being. If it's writing, get off the computer, write with a pen on a piece of paper. It stimulates your mind in three dimensions, whereas a screen is only one. It's this is consumption. It's shit for your brain. That's true. I mean, so program your that. mind. It, the writing it, it, it effectively you remember things better. You learn things better. It just you absorb it better when you actually write something down versus when you type it. Right. Turn off your notification. I mean, I'm just being practical. Turn yeah. off the notifications yes, that yes. make you a Pavlovian dog <laughs> yeah. answering this fucking yeah. thing every yeah, day. It really does. Yeah. Um, I would, yeah, I wanted to just add two quick things, like just to support one of the things that you're saying. It is it is becoming clear to me that uh, what they tell us is good for us. Like they literally from health, mental to physical health and well-being, like what they are pushing on us is the exact opposite. It's actually meant to make you mentally and physically ill, in my opinion. And yes. something that you said earlier about um you know, just your life, you're full of this and full of that. And you can't really get out there and do stuff. I, the things that you listed, family, friends, work, home, all that kind of stuff. I, I think a first step might just be to re-weight 
or reprioritize the things that are already in your life. And, it, yes. and if you put your children first, like, especially like it's a bit, we very much have like distribution of labor, a guy like goes out and works and the mom is at home, but there's a point in the kid's life where the outward facing is what they need the most. They really need that example. They need a relationship with somebody who's been out in the world. I'm just talking to like a traditional family like mine. Yeah. So if, you know, if a, a, maybe the time is over for just to think that the institution Obviously, the institutions that you put your that they, that you put your kids through to help you through their rearing schools and stuff like that. It's just it's it's the opposite. It will hurt. And if you what you need is to have um, maybe some of the people in your extended family to come and and add some of that love in it and what's really becoming very bereft of love and connection. So maybe just connections, reaching out, reprioritizing is enough as a first step. Yeah, yeah, I want to comment on something you said a moment ago. Then I'll throw it back to you to, uh, yeah. to to take it home. The screens and being addicted to the screens. Monica and I deconstructed a panel discussion from an Army CyberCon conference where these military psychological operations officers were talking about the channels of communications and the ways to reach people, the the target that they're going after, and they were kind of boasting about how the screens that children are addicted to all of the time and even said three-year-olds are always just holding it right there that that is a direct access point to the mind of that child and a way to influence that younger generation and when the kids are screaming when you take their phones away from them that's i mean that is that is a weapon for them for people who are trying to manipulate your children against your will reflection as you said it's so important we're always on screens and when you always have a phone in your hand even when you're not looking at one screen you're just automatically down to the other man taking the screens away from children for at least a little while pulling a china if you will because china now is going to be forcing that uh, on their children as a wall now and making like setting up a routine of just manifesting your thoughts and your and your feelings and your your day recalling your day and and writing down what you did and what you want to do tomorrow that simple things like that are are things that people can do like monica said these simpler things create that list and a little bit of writing every single day away from that screen will start the process i think it's tough to start that but I think I think it's got to happen. You got to start somewhere and you're going to struggle at it and it's going to evolve and you have to give yourself the grace and the patience because you're unlearning all that you've been conditioned to learn. You're fighting you're not fighting against yourself, you're fighting against the false program that has been downloaded and conditioned in you over your entire lifetime with people who are well-intentioned that took their bad programming and also gave it to you. This right here is just something I do every day. It's eight things I am grateful for three things I want to accomplish today. And one thing I want to accomplish this year. And at the end of it, I ask myself, how can I grow? What can I learn? What can I celebrate? I do this for myself every single day. And I got to tell you, after two months of this, I have a new outlook on something and it changes, it evolves, it gets deeper. These are little, these seem like little things, but these are rewiring your brain so that you can start to think about your life in a more holistic fashion so that you don't have to just protect, 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 protect. You can create, you create that space. 
You create that relationship with your child. There's a lot of, there's one aspect to this and I will, I want to wrap it up, which is trauma. The people that do this to children do this to all of us, but more importantly, we do this to ourselves and then we pass it on to our own children who then one day will grow up to become adults and they will become that very thing that we do to them. Child abuse is a very uncomfortable topic because it calls into question someone's parenting. Um, not that I'm there to judge or condemn. This is not about that. We all have parents that we loved people that did the best they could, right? In spite of the circumstances. Here's my tell. Here's my thing to all of you. I accept all of that at hundred percent face value. Okay. My mother and father tormented and tortured me as a child, sexually abused me and threw me away like a rag doll. I tried to kill myself at eight years old. I was in a hospital. That didn't go away in childhood. It played out in my adulthood. This issue, this trauma, which they have raised in everyone. Why do you think there are people killing each other in the streets today? Because they were beaten as children. And you say, well, I don't beat my kids. But spanking, humiliation. I'm not talking about righting the wrongs of your child. Alice Miller's work said it very clearly. Children who had the good fortune of disappointing their mother and father, but knowing that in their disappointment that their parents would still love them and not be there to punish them for the mistake, but be there to see a reflection in themselves. What their child was doing was a result of the relationship that they created for the child. And the parent and the child could resolve that by being open and honest with each other rather than condemnation. We have to learn on a higher level what it is that we really are inside and what kind of world we want to create for all children, because what the world that we create for children, we are doing that to us too. So in other words, if everything is expedient, if everything is impulsive and pleasure seeking, sort of like a nihilism, that will evolve in our children because you will have created that foundation in them. Now, are we going to make mistakes? Yes, but here's where it comes full circle. Your mother and father, grandfather, aunts, uncles all came from a different time when none of this world and the knowledge that we have available to us today was accessible, very limited. They came from two world wars, famines, starvation, murder, genocide. They had no access to childcare on any level. And I'm not talking about daycare. I'm talking about where the child could have an outside connecting point, a safety net somewhere that gets them out of the house, a coach, you see, another adult, it was limited at that time. What we have to embrace is the fact that all of our faults and mistakes that have come before us can end in this generation, in this time. It ran in your family before it ran into you. This ends with you, and you're going to spend your life 
committed, recommitted for the sake of your own child, which is the child inside your heart, the one that was muted, that was silenced, that was broken, that was disappointed. And you sit here and say, fourth commandment, honor thy mother and father. How could I do that? How could John Paul Rice honor his mother and father who subjected him to such hell and be in denial of it throughout their entire lives? Because I saw that they were once children like me and those children that they were born to be would never have wanted to do that, not only to themselves, but their own child. And that is where you can honor your mother and father by doing the work that they could not do themselves, which is not to put them down and hate them and stay in a position of hatred of them, but to understand and maybe even accept, not that you have to put up with it, but accept that this is who they are. These are the cards they were dealt with. You have dealt with this and you are the generation to transcend that on a higher level where there is a world that is safe for children that can come out and play where Epstein's of the world don't exist. That's, that's our challenge at this time that I believe that we can make, we can make headway on this issue. If we're willing to take on that path towards healing, havening EFT matrix re-imprinting, I'll give you the links and most importantly, Alice Miller's work, Drama of the Gifted Child, The Body Never Lies, and For Your Own Good. Those resources alone will give you a head start into healing from trauma on any level, even if it's down to just anxiousness and stress. You will be able to do so many things more with just those things. And we're talking very little money, no therapist that you have to go see. This is techniques that only take your time and your want to do. And in seeking that and setting yourself on that path, you don't know the good that you can do for the world and yourself, and you don't know where that can go. But I can tell you this, if you had asked me five years ago that this is where I would be, I would have told you you're out of your mind. <laughs> So if people want to break the cycle and want to, I mean, we've just touched on this stuff. And if they want to come and um, kind of tap into the resources that you've come upon or your work or what would be the best way for people to follow up on this? Because I feel like we've only just opened the door on a lot of different issues, awareness, education, a plan, skills. How, yeah. do, we, how do people follow up on, on you and your work? Well, if you go to my link tree forward slash no restrictions, there's resources down there that said red pilling, uh, awakening and healing. The second page uh, has all the things that I just discussed and more. The first page is kind of dark. It deals with the child sex trafficking and the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. You don't need to go into that. Just skip down to the second page. That's those links are there. And there's also a video on my link tree. It says, what can I do? It's a YouTube video. 2014 speech given by John Rappaport. I strongly recommend people watch that hour and a half. It's one of the most inspiring speeches you'll ever hear because it is the conscious of you talking to yourself. And it says, what can I do? And it, and it, and it really, he's like a good daddy. Uh, I love that man. He was part of my awakening in 2017. And I go back and I watch that probably once or twice a year just to remember 
that this is exactly where we are right now. It's like, what can I do? Here it is. Well, he has certainly built up a lot of credibility over the years, and I guess it's for this moment. So the first thing I'm going to do is go watch that YouTube video on your site. So it's Linktree. It's like linktr.ee. Yeah, I think that's right. no restrictions. Yeah, it's a little no quirky. restrictions, but we're going to put a lot of this stuff. I have a few other things that we've talked about along the way that I'm going to forward to Binkley and he's going to put it in the show notes. And um, I mean, that's a lot to digest. I admire that you uh, end on a positive note and that you have had the patience and the fortitude to go through such dark subjects. But I mean, without really understanding what the problems are, it's not going to be possible for us to break that cycle or be part of the solution. So really, really appreciate your time and your work. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. And I'm glad this timing worked out now because I, I think if we had done this sooner, I don't think this would have been the same conversation today. No. And this is probably just what we need right now. I have to say it's it's sad, but true. This is where we are as a society and I guess as individuals and in the, in the first step, it has to start with yourself. So really appreciate it. And um, I think people are really going to be interested in it. We're going to post it soon and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again. All right. Thanks Sounds great. Lot, Thank you. Thank you.